0: Greetings, Strange New Worlds listeners, it's Mike Wong again, and today I'm bringing you a brief subspace chat that I had with Peter Gao. I opened a channel to my good friend because I had a postdoc interview that I was preparing for, and I asked Peter to play professor for a bit and give me a mock interview. Being the wonderful person that he is, he accepted the invitation, and after he was done grilling me for an hour... I turned the tables and asked him a few questions for this podcast about the New Horizons science team meeting that he had recently attended. New Horizons, of course, being the first probe that humanity has ever sent to Pluto. And afterwards, we naturally wound up talking about Star Trek Discovery. Somehow, all conversations with Peter end up going there. But before I play this interview, I wanted to mention that if you're interested in hearing more of my thoughts on Star Trek Discovery, you can head over to episode 28 of Trek FM's The Edge podcast, where I help Brandon Shea Mutala and Tony Robinson review episode 11, The Wolf Inside. It's always fun to join the Trek FM crew. This time, I don't get to talk too much science, but it's a pretty exciting discussion full of crazy theories and ideas for what we'll see next on Discovery. Now, are you ready for some Pluto?
1: Peter! Hey, Mike! It's good to see you. Good to see you, too.
0: Yeah. I hear that you've been traveling.
1: Yes, yes. I just got back from the East Coast. I was in Maryland at the Applied Physics Lab attending the New Horizons Science Meeting, the 38th New Horizons Science Meeting.
0: Wow. 38 already. Yep. So first of all, remind us who you are and then remind us what New Horizons is.
1: Okay. So uh, my name is Peter Gao. I am a postdoctoral fellow at UC Berkeley. New Horizons is a spacecraft, a relatively small spacecraft, crap, but a tough little ship regardless that was launched in 2006 on its way to Pluto. It is a Pluto flyby mission. It made that flyby in 2015, Bastille Day 2015 actually. And right now it is hurtling out of the solar system, currently going towards a small object in the Kuiper Belt called MU69 which New Horizons will fly by on January 1st, 2019.
0: Wow. So we're under a year to the MU69 flyby.
1: Is it 69?
0: 69? MU69. MU69. Okay. Got to get these numbers right. I flubbed a Exoplanet license plate number (laughs) (laughs) recently uh, in our fake postdoc interview, which I have to thank you again for helping me out with. Oh, my pleasure. So... Why were you at the New Horizons team meeting?
1: So I wrote a paper, uh, I and several other people, including Mike here. We wrote a paper uh, looking at... Yes, that's right, Mike, you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We wrote a paper looking at the atmosphere of Pluto, in particular, the haze that was in the atmosphere. So what New Horizons did was that as it flew by Pluto, as it flew into the shadow of Pluto, it saw the planet... Or, or the ex planet, perhaps, surrounded by this bright ring. And this bright ring turned out to be haze scattering sunlight into the New Horizons' cameras. So one thing we did was try to figure out the origins and the evolution of this haze material in Pluto's atmosphere. And, you know, apparently the New Horizons team found it so interesting that they got me to talk about it over in APL this last week.
0: APL being?
1: APL being the Applied Physics Lab.
0: Nice. Wow, that's really awesome. What an honor to be invited to the New Horizons team meeting and give a talk about some of the findings that we've made. So besides your brilliant talk, Peter, who else was at the meeting?
1: Yeah, so there were a lot of very interesting scientists at the meeting, including Professor Sarah Horst at Johns Hopkins University. She, along with Dr. Morgan Cable, who's a scientist at JPL, gave a very interesting talk about creating the haze material in a lab. So what we found, Mike and I, and along with many scientists in the New Horizons team, is that in order to understand the atmosphere, in order to understand this haze material, we really need to figure out the chemical pathway that leads from methane and nitrogen to this material. And it's very hard to do that because the pathway is very long and complicated. And one way we can figure that out is to actually do experiments in the lab, zapping methane and nitrogen in an enclosure. So this is what Professor Horst and Dr. Cable does, is they essentially make these materials in the lab, trying to figure out what they look like and how they behave as they evolve. So they gave an extraordinary talk. And I think... This is really the future of some of these missions is that not only do you have data, not only do you analyze the data, you monitor the data, you really need to do these lab work, these experiments to figure out what you're actually looking at and what you're working with.
0: That's really exciting. And it's also one of my goals to one day have Sarah and Morgan on this podcast. Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) So besides Pluto's atmosphere, what aspects of the dwarf planet were discussed at the science team meeting.
1: Oh, yes. There were two other uh, major topics of discussion. One of them was the geology of Pluto. Again, looking at the landforms and figuring out what possibly caused them. The other one is the climate. Pluto has a very cold surface right now, has a very low density atmosphere, but in the past, that atmosphere could have been a lot thicker and that is controlled by the amount of nitrogen That is on the surface, and how much of that nitrogen could sublimate or evaporate into the air, into the atmosphere, or how much of it would be locked up in uh, nitrogen glaciers, actually, uh, on the surface of Pluto.
0: So, you know, New Horizons in general has just been such a fun mission to watch. It was launched, what, 12 years ago in
1: 2006? Yes, so one of the scientists uh, giving the talk at the science meeting, uh, Francois Forget, a professor from France, uh, his talk happened exactly 12 years after to the second of the actual launch. And so, uh, of course, being a New Horizons science meeting, they stopped him in the middle of his talk and then counted down to the exact moment that 12 years previously, has seen the launch of New Horizons. So that was pretty fun. And actually, an interesting thing about that is 12 years ago, is 2006, and another thing that happened in 2006 was Pluto getting demoted from planetary status. So it's kind of ironic that the mission to finally study Pluto in detail was launched only a few months before it became an ex-planet.
0: planet. There is a lot of irony in that, wow. So Peter, that just makes me want to ask you, are you Team Pluto is a planet, or Team Pluto is a dwarf planet?
1: Oh my goodness. Do you want me to make enemies here? <laughs> I well, think...
0: let, me, first of all, let me first of all say that if anybody is your enemy based on this, it's their problem. Like, <laughs> come on. Like, okay, yes, I, I actually think that there is a real distinction, and that there is a more legitimate answer to this question and i'll say my opinions after you say yours but i also think that it is not something that people need to have a war about there are much better things that well actually there's maybe no good reason to have a war there's some possible (laughs) too philosophical now (laughs) all i'm trying to ask you is do you think pluto is a planet or not
1: my answer is that it is not a planet But I, so the reason I, I believe this is because of how the solar system is set up. In the inner solar system, there are four large bodies, possibly five, you include the moon, but of course the moon orbits the Earth. But these four or five bodies clearly dominate the inner solar system. In the outer solar system, you have four even bigger bodies, being the gas giants and the ice giants, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and they dominate that part of the solar system. Beyond their orbits, there are no objects dominating their orbital space. Pluto, of course, is a very prominent body, but so is Eris, and so is Quoar, and so is Makemake, and so is Sedna. And all of these Kuiper Belt objects, they are large and they're interesting, but none of them really dominate the space. So by that reason, it's my opinion, Pluto is not a planet because it is one among many. Either we have eight planets or we have 20 planets. That said, being a planetary scientist, I think they're all super interesting. And the definition of planet, at least to me, is not important. I will be just as happy studying Jupiter as I will be studying Pluto or Ceres or the moon or a comet.
0: That's a great answer. I definitely agree with that. For me, yes, the ability to gravitationally dominate and clear out one's orbit is essential to the definition of planethood. It boils down to the fact that the architecture of a planetary system really speaks volumes about the the history of that system. And so classifying things as planets versus not planets is a result of a very specific formation history. And so Pluto belongs to a class of objects that never got the chance to coalesce into a body large enough to dominate solely its orbital space. And that's mainly because of Neptune, right? Neptune is gravitationally interacting with the bodies in the Kuiper Belt. Actually, probably all of the gas giants have had their say or their influence on these bodies at some point in time. But specifically, Neptune and Pluto are in a mean motion resonance, aren't they? They're in yes, some kind of three to, two. three to two mean motion resonance, which means that For every three times that Neptune goes around the sun, Pluto goes around twice. And this is because Neptune is the boss in the region. Neptune dictates Pluto's orbital period. It has pushed Pluto and many other objects as it migrated slowly out into the solar system. There's a bunch of objects called Plutinos, actually. a whole family of objects that orbit in this resonance. And Pluto is just one of them. And so that, to me, really says that Pluto shouldn't be called a planet because it it went through a much different formation history than, say, Neptune or or the Earth or Mars. Very well said. Hey, so were you able to watch any Star Trek Discovery while you were on the East Coast, Peter?
1: Yes. Let's see. So I was on the East Coast starting from 7th of January which I believe was the premiere of the second chapter of Star Trek Discovery. So I watched two episodes on the East Coast, and they were amazing episodes, and Discovery is just getting better and better, and I cannot believe. I'm so excited um, to see the rest, and I have not seen the one that premiered today, and I shall accept no spoilers.
0: (laughs) Very well. (laughs) My lips are sealed. Yes. Well, I can tell you this: they're still in the mirror universe. So okay. So, what, what do you what do you think about this very long, drawn out mirror universe arc?
1: I think it's extraordinary. The amount of tension, the amount of character exploration, has been phenomenal in a way that I don't think we've ever we haven't seen in Star Trek since parts of the Zindi arc on Enterprise and the Dominion War arc in uh, Z Space Nine, specifically the arc at the beginning of season six when they had to abandon station, and the arc at the very end of the show where the Dominion War culminated. It's really just not only seeing all the characters struggle with this new universe they're in, but also paying off some very interesting arcs that's happened so far, such as, spoiler alert, Tyler is Bach. That, I think, has been on the internet for a while now, but still, it was very interesting to see Tyler transform in front of our eyes from the confused but lovable Starfleet officer to the pure Klingon folk.
0: All right, I've got just one last question for you, Peter. You are a planetary scientist, amazing, genuine, generous friend in this universe, but if you encountered your counterpart in the mirror universe what do you think mirror peter would be like and what kind of science do you think mirror peter would be doing you think mirror peter would have attended the mirror new horizons mirror pluto science conference or do you think mirror peter would have been doing something else
1: (laughs) that is the best question ever uh mirror universe peter can probably grow a better goatee than i ever could (laughs) Um, uh, in terms of, well, you know what? The Terran Empire doesn't really do exploration. Perhaps Peter will be in the business of of figuring out how to blow up planets or how to uh, reverse terraform habitable planets so that their inhabitants will listen to what the Terran Empire wants them to do. So I'm going to guess that Mirror Universe Peter is currently studying ways to transform habitable planets, specifically those with oxygen and nitrogen atmospheres, into one dominated by CO2 and sulfuric acid clouds.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, you're, you're still doing atmospheric chemistry and cloud microphysics, but you're doing it for really terrible end goals.
1: Exactly, exactly. The, the, the science remains pure, but it's evil.
0: Oh. Well, I, I hope I never encounter that Peter Gow. So, <laughs> <Me neither.
1: laughs>
0: so So Peter, you're going to be back. I just want to tease your, your next visit. You're going to be back in early February. So That's right. listeners, if you really enjoy Peter's insightful comments on both science and Star Trek, you should look forward to another podcast with him in February. And I, I'm I'm trying to spin up a way for you and Elise and James T. Keen are all in the same place at the same time, so that we can do an epic Star Trek and science powwow. And I'm gonna think of some really difficult questions for you guys to tackle.
1: All right. Well, that sounds that sounds wonderful. And also, since uh, that will be before the last two episodes of the season, I think will be really interesting for all of us to make predictions about how the season would end based on what we would have learned by that point.
0: Sounds good to me. Yeah. Okay. Well, until February then, Peter, I will bid you farewell. Live long and prosper.
1: Peace and long life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. That concludes episode 27 of Strange New Worlds. I hope you're not too bitter about my stance on Pluto's planethood. Like Peter said, no matter its official designation, it's a startlingly beautiful world to study and continues to teach us new things about how physics and chemistry and geology work in the outermost reaches of the solar system. I can't wait for Peter to visit in early February but before that happens, I think Elise and I are going to rewatch the classic Star Trek episode, The Devil in the Dark, and bring you another astrobiology themed discussion based on that. See you out there.